Amen. You know, as believers, we can sing even through the difficult times. Amen. It's all about his name and what he's done for us. As we make our way to our last um, warning from Hebrews, I want us to understand that the situation that the believers were in uh, at this time, in some aspects, is not far from where we are today. They were at a point of emotional and spiritual well-being had been drained out of them and they had become fatigued. I think that many of you would agree that with what's going on over the last few years, that we as well become to a state of emotional and spiritual fatigue. It begins to wear us down, and the writer of Hebrews was writing to them to let them understand or to bring to their attention that when you get weak... When you become fatigued through spiritual or emotional situations, it very easily could lead to a state of apostasy, not withdrawing your faith, but to a point that you just kind of step away, especially for them that were under persecution and persecution had been going on so long that they were at the verge of just stepping away from what it meant to be a Christian and go back to what it meant to be uh, a Jewish or someone in the Jewish faith. And it was at a very pivotal point that they were getting close to becoming lethargic and insensitive to the voice of God. I believe in today's world with the pressures that we have brought upon ourselves and that the state that the world is in, sometimes it becomes very easy to focus on the world around us and begin to become lethargic and insensitive at times to the voice of God. So what I want us to do this morning is look in Hebrews at what the writer was trying to tell uh, these Hebrew people and what the Lord I believe, has for us today. If you'll take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Once you've turned there, if you would please stand with me as we read God's word. It should be on the screens for you. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up, causes trouble, and by it many may be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that could be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was which that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, 
If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if he didn't for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven? And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things to those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Father, you would open our eyes and our ears to hear from you. And Father, would you speak to us today? Lord, the word that you have for us. Father, would you feel me? Would you anoint me now to speak your message? And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. <laughs> Looking today at the old versus the new. We see all through scripture, old and new, old people, new people, new creations. But what I want us to look at to understand what he's trying to say here, dealing with the peril of refusing God's gracious words, we've got to understand that in life there's two things. There's works and there's grace. And when it comes to the believer, it's all about grace and not works. Let's take a look first of all at the old life versus the new life. You see the old life was a life of self. The new life is lived for God. We at one point in our time lived for ourselves, for the flesh, but when Christ came in, we became new creatures and we become living into a new life and that life is lived for God. And he began these verses talking about to pursue peace and holiness and that to pursue peace and holiness with all men, those within the church confines first, but also with those without or outside of the church. But let me phrase it to you the way that uh, one person put it, and I like this. It said, peace does not mean we must surrender conviction, but it does mean that we will be courteous, considerate, and willing to comply with legitimate social customs and will refuse to quarrel. Peace doesn't mean we give up what we believe. 
Well, for what we stand for, but peace is how we deal with man. How in the world can we as believers deal peacefully with the world that we live in that is so full of hate and contempt for God's word? First of all, because we are at peace with our vertical relationship. We've got to be at peace between us and God. And when we can be at peace vertically, we can be at peace horizontally, man to man. There is no possible way for a believer who is not at peace with God to be at peace with man. It just doesn't happen. But we can conquer this by going through that. We must be at peace with all men, it tells us there. We must pursue this peace as I said first, vertically, and then we can pursue it horizontally. A peace, people look at our conduct, our conversation, and our character, and they all have a direct influence on other believers. Why is the author giving them this command to be at peace with others? Because like it or not, we have a responsibility for how we live our life before other people. Other believers will look at us and see how we live our life. If we can't be at peace within the church family, then why in the world would non-believers even want to become a part of it? They have enough of that out in the world. We have that responsibility to encouraging others, to lead others, but we need to be peacefully because others will see a difference in us and will draw them to Christ. It is our responsibility how we live our life before others. Living at peace with others is a two-way process. Would you all agree with that? It's me and it's the other person. But let me tell you this. You as a believer are only responsible for your side of the peace. You cannot make someone else be at peace with you. But just because they're not at peace with you does not give you the right to not be at peace with them. Let me read to you from Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We need to do everything we can to be at peace with all men. Uh, one of the commentators was writing and he said he remembered a time that he cut somebody off in traffic. And when they got to the next red light, that guy rolled his window down and began to call him every name there was in the book. All kinds of profanity and hand gestures and everything was thrown out. And he said, you know, I rolled my window down. And he said, I looked right at him and I said, you're right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Of course, the guy didn't like that. He sped off with a few more choice words. And we don't always get that opportunity. But whatever we do, we need to try to be as best as we can at peace with everyone else. Why do we need to be at that peace with everyone else? Because it says that see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God or no one fails of the grace of God. No one to fail. 
So you're telling me that as a believer I can fall from grace? Absolutely not. But I will tell you as a believer, you can fail at receiving and using the grace that God provides for you. And oftentimes when we begin to not listen to God, then we begin coming very close to a point of not being able to avail or take advantage of his grace. It says there, see that no one comes short of this grace. See, God's grace never fails, but we can fail to take advantage of it. Grace is made available to help us as believers. What are some forms of God's grace? We can see it in believers' baptism. We get a, a picture when we go into that baptistry of a, a life being buried, the old life, and the resurrection of a new life. Just like Jesus went in the grave and come out, we have the Lord's Supper. You know, if we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's going to keep us within his grace because to approach that, we've got to make sure that we're clean and right. We come together as a family and we gather around the table that has the bread and the wine and it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus gave through his body and through the blood. God gives us grace through the fellowship with other believers. I think we talked about that last week. What about the word of God, prayer, the indwelling of Holy Spirit? You see those things I mentioned because the believer who neglects those things will fall into sin and will lose rewards. You will not lose your salvation, but you will lose rewards here on earth and I believe rewards in heaven. But he also says that to see to it that there's no root of bitterness in you. If we are at peace with man around us, it will help alleviate the chance of bitterness swelling up within us. And do you know, I see this very clearly today. With what's going on in our world, I see people who become so consumed with what's going on that they lose focus of who they are and who they believe to. When it comes down to our government, they're all focused on what is my right. You can't tell me this and you can't tell me that. And they become so focused that the bitterness of what's going on swells up and consumes them. And because of the persecution that this church was going through, they were experiencing the same thing. We have rights. Yes, we do. As American citizens, we have rights. And at time, our government wants to, to try to take some of those away. But we can't let the bitterness of that swell up in us. You know, I've seen it take place just here in Mansfield. I remember right after stores began reopening, uh, the COVID was there. The mask mandate was out to wear a mask everywhere you went. And you could go right down here to Walmart. And there was this little man dressed in a security uniform that was hired to be put there to make sure that people wore a mask in the store. Now, let me ask you, first of all, did that man make the law? No, he did not. He was hired there to 
tell you to wear your mask. And I sit right there and I have watched people after people go in and chew this little man out. I mean, I saw one person just flat out chew him up one side and down the other. The bitterness of what is my right and what is not my right had so swelled up into them that they no longer could be peaceful. It wasn't that guy's fault. But you know, that guy probably didn't think too highly of that person. What about the person that does this when they go into a store, just using what we're dealing with right now, and then we'll just say that little man comes here next Sunday, he walks in the door and sees that person in church. Your testimony can be tore up. We're not giving up our rights. We've got to understand that we are aliens in this land and that there are some rules that we must follow and we need to be peacefully. You know, that person could have very easily looked at that person and said, you know, I have a medical condition. I I can't wear the mask. Or I'm sorry, sir, let me go grab my mask. Or no, thank you, I'll go shop somewhere else. The bitterness come up and when bitterness comes in, it will spread very quickly. We've seen it time and again in churches where someone's feelings got hurt and the bitterness swole up because there was no peace. And before long, there was a split straight down the middle of church. And now you got two or three churches. Bitterness can tear up. It says, see to it, check at it, that no one falls short of being in the grace of God and that no bitterness springs up that causes trouble and by it defile many You know why it says it defiles many? Because if one person gets bitter and it consumes who they are, all you have to do is talk for just a moment to them and you will know because the bitterness has so consumed them that that's all they talk about. But also that bitterness will also keep others from coming to Christ. We have a responsibility to make sure of that so that we don't lead others astray. And then he went on with this new life and old life, and he talked about Esau. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau? You see, it said that Esau here was a godless man. How did he put it? It says, for you know that even afterwards the desire of the henna blessing was removed. Esau's own birthright. He was a godless man. What was the big deal? God set up very specific instructions that the firstborn would inherit and would be the next leader in that house. But because Esau was so worried with satisfying the moment that he was willing to sell his birthright, as Scripture says, for a meal, for a bowl of stew. Well, we might look at that saying, no big deal. Yes, it's a slap in God's face in the Jewish faith that they had at that time. He was willing to give up what was rightfully his for the pleasure of a moment. Have you ever heard of anything like that in today's life? Willing to give up the grace of, of God for the pleasure of a moment. Somebody willing to have an immoral affair 
for a few minutes of pleasure could ruin an entire life. There's no place, it said, for repentance. When it came time for the blessing, even though Jacob did go in and disguise himself and Isaac blessed him, when Esau come in, Isaac said, I've already given the blessing. I cannot give it to you. But we also don't see anywhere where Esau ever repented of himself. You see, there's the old life lived for the flesh, the works. And then there's the new life living for God through grace. But next, Scripture begins to tell us about the old covenant versus the new covenant. And it's represented with Mount Sinai and Mount um, Zion. You see, Mount Sinai represented the old covenant. The old covenant was the law. It brought with it fear and judgment. Let's look at Exodus 19. Let me read to you from there. So it came about on the third day. When it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked. They were there. And God had descended on the mountain. And the sight of what they were going through even scared Moses. The thunder that rumbled as the power of God descended down on that mountain. The darkness. The cloud. The fear. You see, the law brings Fear. When you stand at the base of Mount Sinai and look at it, you're looking at yourself with the idea and the enlightenment of the law. And what does that mean? Why is there fear? Because you will never, ever match up to what the law states you should be. The law brings with it condemnation and judgment. It brings the darkness. It brings fear. It it brings death. But God didn't leave it that way. Jesus came and on Mount Zion represents the new covenant. The grace and law, relationships, light and openness. Look at this right here. The law, commandments, judgment condemnation, grace, forgiveness, atonement, and salvation. Let me ask you this morning, do you want under the law or do you want under grace? That's what the writer is trying to say that as believers, we fall under grace and salvation and we have a privilege and a prestige in what we have it's not the old law anymore it's the new grace the forgiveness it's not through our works it's through grace and then that leads him into the next section the old world versus the new world 
You see, the old world was temporal. The new world is eternal. Hebrews 12, right there, verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. Here we see a stern warning because of our privileged status we should not treat God's word with apathy or complacency. And that's exactly where the Hebrew church was at. Many of them no longer felt the need to listen. The persecution had become so difficult that many of them were going back into Judaism so they wouldn't have to face the persecution. They no longer listened to the speaking of the world. It warns us very quickly, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. If we get to a point in our life, church, because of the difficulties that we're going through and we become complacent, we become apathetic, we no longer are sensitive to that speaking, we're in a great deal of trouble. Because the law that was given just by the witness of a couple, someone could be put to death that did not follow the law. But we're under the grace. But if we basically just say, I'm not going to listen, and we slap God in the face, the one who paid for our salvation, there's going to be a payment. You see, there's judgment that comes. Judgment for the non-believer is different than judgment for the believer. We've talked about this. The non-believer is going to face judgment for what he has done. He's going to be sentenced to hell, eternal separation from God. The believer is going to face judgment for what he did with what God gave him, which will bring his rewards. You see, the old world is temporal in both sense. If you look up the definition, one says that it's temporal is worldly, opposite spiritual matters. I would believe that the old world, the world that we're living in today, is temporal. It's opposite spiritual matters and also temporal in that it is time short. This world that we live in today will not last forever. The things that we work for all of our life and move forward to all these things of the world will not last. We should be pursuing after God. See, not everyone believes there is a God. In this day and time, in the old world, there are people who say that there is no God. They don't believe in God. And in this old world, there is death. But I am so thankful to our living God and to the writer of Hebrews that he didn't leave it there, but he talked about the new world. You see, it's eternal. It will last forever. And do you know in the new world, everyone, hear me correctly, everyone will know that there is a God. Philippians 2 puts it this way. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, 
those who are on earth and those who are under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those who are living today that do not believe in God, die and go to hell, will know that there is a God. And the scripture talks about that God is coming to a day. It talked about the shaking of the earth. When he gave the law, the earth shook from his holiness, from his presence, his authority, his mightiness shook as he descended down on that mountain. But do you know there's coming a day that he's going to shake this earth again and he's going to shake the heavens and he's going to shake the earth and everything that is of this world, everything that is temporal will be done away with. The only thing that will be left are those things that are eternal, those things that are not created, the believers. He is going to do away with this world as we know it and he's going to create a new one. And it leaves us in scripture that we have received as believers the kingdom which cannot be shaken. Amen. Our world will be eternal. It says, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and with awe. We've got to understand as believers who bought us, who we belong to. And understand that greatness. And we need to worship him with service and with reverence and with awe. Because it says, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. If we're out after the works, church, the hay and the stubble of this world, God will consume it up in fire. But as believers, we're to be at awe and to worship and to serve him after him, not to earn our salvation, but because he gave us salvation. Because we have grace, we should want to worship and serve him. In the day and time as persecution begins to rise more and more for us believers, as this COVID thing spreads around more and more and our minds become focused more on more of what's all around us and we begin focusing on everything out here, let me tell you, be very careful that you don't lose focus of what's going on right here. That's what's first. With that vertical relationship, we have grace And let me tell you, church, I want grace and not the law because law represents the death. We'll never match it. Grace represents love and forgiveness. So don't refuse God's gracious words. It's about grace. It's not about work. God gives us words to lead us and to guide us, to strengthen us and uphold us. You know, if we listen to his words as we read from Scripture and as he speaks to us through Holy Spirit, we can live a life of peace. We don't have to live looking over our shoulders, wondering if we're going to be caught for something we did that was wrong because you're not going to be doing that. We're going to be in his word. He's going to fill us. He's going to give us power. Because I tell you, without the grace of God, I'd never get out of bed in the morning and I'd never step foot out of that door over there because of what's going on in this world. 
And if I let it so consume me that bitterness takes over because I'm not listening to God's word, you see, without my vertical relationship right, bitterness piles up even for me. So here's the warning. Listen, don't refuse. As he said at verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those that did not escape when they refused him who warned on the earth, that would be the the prophets and Moses, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. We're warned from heaven through Holy Spirit speaks. Church, do not refuse to hear him. Why these five warnings to Hebrews? Why why do we want to look at something so negative, you could say? But you know, as the writer was writing from a pastoral standpoint, he was giving them the warning. But he always ended with God's grace and God's love and God's blessing. In church, I can stand here and truthfully tell you that I believe the majority of the church today falls into these five warnings. The church has become so laxed. It has become so apathetic to the moving. You very rarely hear of a Holy Spirit movement these days. And let me tell you what, it's not because the Holy Spirit's not here. And it's not because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to move. It's because people have become so unsensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we have an opportunity in our own lives to start with us to wake up. Church, it's time to wake up and realize that we're in a battle and we're in a war and it's all around us. But I want to leave you with the news that our God is a consuming fire and he's coming one day, apparently very quicker than many might think. And he's going to do away with all of this worldly stuff and he's going to bring his new kingdom. Amen. And we get to be there. When you stand before the judgment seat, Christ is going to look at you, God's going to look at you through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ and a believer, and you have your pass to heaven. But I believe he's going to look at us too and see what did we do with what he gave us. And then he will give us our rewards I was talking with someone one time about rewards, and they said, well, what do I care? Let me tell you what, I want all the rewards I can get to lay down at the feet of Jesus because that is the very least that I could do for what he did for me. We have rewards coming. So don't be unsensitive to the gracious, loving, forgiving saving words of the Lord. May you bow your heads. Most gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your love. Father, I thank you that, Father, at times, as your word says, it's there for 
correction, it's for reproof, it's for training and leading and equipping. And Father, sometimes we have to look at some difficult things, Lord, in your word. And Father, we can see that even for the believer, Father, that we can fall short, Lord, of receiving all of the grace that you have for us. And that, Father, we can become to the point that we're just laxed, Lord, when you speak. But, Father, I'm so thankful that you don't leave us there. And that, Father, you give us the opportunity to repent. And that, Father, we may come to you and that through your grace and not through anything we've done, that you will forgive and restore. Father, I pray right now for the the rekindling of the flame and Holy Spirit in myself. Father, I pray for the rekindling of the flame of the Holy Spirit, Lord, for those that are here and, Lord, those that are listening. Father, life is about you first. And, Father, you are speaking. Lord, would you help us to hear? Father, would you strengthen us to fight the battle? Because, Father, I'm looking forward to that day, Lord, that when I stand before you, Father, and for those of your church to hear those, well, those words, well done, good and faithful. Father, it can only be through your grace. Father, open our eyes, soften our hearts. Lord, this very moment as we turn to you, Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would just stand where you are, leave your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm not going to ask you to leave your pew, but I want to give you a moment to listen 